well, good morning and welcome to the fourth week of our series that we have titled Naturally Supernatural. Uh, during this series so far, we have been talking about and looking at some important uh, ideas and, and sort of ways of thinking that guide the way that we uh, want to follow Jesus. And so I hope that, that you've been enjoying the devotional and the groups, if you've been with us for that whole journey. Um, you know, that's just great supplementary stuff to kind of keep you going throughout this, uh, this series. And so what I want to do today is just kind of pick up and keep running with that. So if you've been reading in the devotional, uh, you know a little bit about what I'll be talking about today. If you haven't been, um, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be great. You'll love it. So when I attended Miami University as a, as a student, I had a minor in Jewish studies. And so I took a whole litany of courses that dealt with the development of Jewish civilization throughout the centuries, uh, and then Judaism as a religion and how that's developed over time. I took uh, Hebrew language courses in, in modern Hebrew. And as I studied, um, I learned about this very, very old idea in Jewish thought that is sort of central to almost all of Jewish thought and Jewish theology. And it's actually something that Jesus in his day would have been familiar with. It's a concept that we find throughout the Bible that we read, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so this, this idea from Jewish thought is called tikkun olam. Tikkun olam. And so in Hebrew, what tikkun olam means is the repair of the world. So when Jews thought about what God was up to in the world, this idea of tikkun olam was, was sort of at the center of everything that they believed God was doing. And I believe that Jesus and Paul and the writers of the New Testament would have been well aware of this concept of tikkun olam. It was super, super important to them. It kind of shaped their worldview in terms of what they thought God was up to uh, in the world. And, and so, you know, the repair of the world is this idea that as we move in the world, there are things that we can do and there are things that God is doing through us that contribute to uh, sort of putting this whole thing back together. Does anybody else kind of have a sense that, like, the world's a little bit of a mess? Have you ever felt like you're a little bit of a mess? Yeah. So the whole idea is that God is working on you to put back together all the, all the pieces that are broken, and God is working through you to put back together all the pieces that are broken in the world. And so for centuries, theologians have had this argument, this battle over whether tikkun olam uh, means you know, that, that we do things in our own devotional life to work on ourselves and, and sort of repair ourselves, and through that, the world is repaired, or whether that maybe means that we, we move in the world and we do certain things in the world with respect to social issues and and justice, and so on and so forth. And that's how tikkun olam comes about. That's how the, the repair of the world comes about. And what I want to suggest is that the answer is both. The answer is both. And so the thing that we want to keep at the very center of this naturally supernatural series, as we talk about what it means 
to be people who do spiritual things and believe in, in you know, the spiritual gifts and the activity of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> At the very center of that are the ways that God is repairing the world within us and the world through us. And so as we, as we continue on in this series, today what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about prophecy and I'm going to talk about the gift of tongues. And I want us to keep a few things sort of top of mind as we go. These are huge topics, huge topics that we cannot adequately address in one week. So what we're going to look at today is specifically how those two gifts of the Holy Spirit relate to the work of the repair of the world within us and the repair of the world through us. So we could talk about all sorts of things. How, how do we pray in tongues? And what do these different Greek words mean? And, and what about this scripture? And what about that scripture? And I just want you to set all those thoughts aside for a few moments because we might not look at your favorite scripture about tongues. And you might even have an objection or two to some of the things that I say. And you might think, well, I heard a preacher say this once or that. But we want to keep at the center, how can we bring the love of God and the hope of the gospel to our neighbors? And how do these gifts help us to do that? Does that make sense? Okay. So to, to really understand what's going on here, we have to look at the story of the scriptures, sort of from beginning to end. The repair of the world is something that's coming to us through the story of the Bible. And so the story of the Bible is really the story of the way that God is working through his people to redeem his world. And in the beginning of the Bible, we see humans pursue their own selfish desires right out of the gates. And they ignore God's instructions for human flourishing because God actually had an idea about how this life should go and how humans can, can live a good life and live a good life with God. And, and they disregard that from the very beginning. So we see the serpent convinces these, these archetypal people to rebel against God and enter into this cycle of sin that starts to repeat itself throughout the whole Old Testament. But we've, what we find is that there is actually a way for humans to be forgiven for their sin. So this isn't a hopeless death sentence, right? They're, they're given uh, a system where they can bring sacrifices of different things, grain and animals and so forth, into the temple and offer them to God, and their sins will be forgiven. But during the years of the prophets, as we continue to read the story of Israel and we continue to read through the Old Testament, we come to these prophets. And what the prophets do is they start to tell uh, a better story about maybe how God wants to reach humanity. They actually tell a story of hope, one where we can break this cycle of sin and sacrifice and start to live a different kind of life. And so uh, several of the prophets tell people that the days are coming when God is going to make a new covenant with his people. And it's one where God's picture of human flourishing is not just instructions written on stone tablets, but God's picture of human flourishing is going to be written on his people's hearts. That people will have inside them the, the moral compass and the integrity that comes from God to live life rightly before God. 
And, and, and so they will know God. And we said at the beginning of this series, when we pursue spiritual gifts, it's not because we're trying to prove anything. It's not because we think spiritual gifts are really cool. It's, it, it's not any of that. We don't long for the activity of the Holy Spirit so that we can you know, dunk on other Christians who don't believe in it because that's actually not the point. We're not here to debate cessationists and people who don't believe in this stuff. Um, we want to see God move in our lives because we know that every time the power of the Holy Spirit touches earth to save, heal, deliver, redeem, renew, empower, encounter us, it's a sneak peek of the project that God is working on for the entire world. And that's why this idea of tikkun olam is so important to our faith. Because when we know that God is working to redeem the world through his son Jesus, we find that everything God does in our lives and everything God does in this world is unto that aim of repairing the good order of things that he created in the beginning. Are you still with me? Okay. So the good news, the good news is that the God who made the world has promised to put it right. That's the good news, that the God who made the world has promised to put it right. And so the things within us that, that feel broken, the things in our, in our lives, we struggle to, to control our desires. We struggle to be kind. We struggle to do the right thing in general. Sometimes we struggle to tell the truth. Sometimes we struggle to slow down and just think about the words that we're saying to other people. We sin against our neighbors by things that we do and things that we leave undone. And the good news is that there is another way. There is another way to be and to move in the world. God wants to repair the broken parts of us and the broken parts of our world. And so the way that we start to cooperate with that is by making the decision to call Jesus the Lord of our lives. To actually call on Jesus and say, you get to drive the car now because there is a better way. You want to, prepare, you want to repair the world and you know how to do it and I don't. You want to repair the world inside of me and through me. And so if you have never made the decision to call Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond uh, later on in this talk. But I want that to just be in the back of your mind as we talk about some of these other things. So when I was 16, I had been following Jesus for a very short period of time, and, uh, and I started to read through the New Testament for the first time. And I remember when I began reading about spiritual gifts. Now keep in mind, I did not grow up in a church context where any of this was discussed. I had no framework for spiritual gifts or what it meant to receive gifts from the Holy Spirit or to operate in those things, nothing. I had no context for this. So I'm reading the New Testament, and after almost a year of reading the Bible, uh, I arrived in the book of Acts. So I wouldn't recommend this, but I just started at the beginning and just started reading the whole thing. So I mean, I spent a long time reading the Old Testament before I even got to the Jesus parts, um, which I would say start with the Jesus parts. <laughs> but anyway, um, I started to understand that I had been trying to follow Jesus but it had never occurred to me that the Holy Spirit might have some unique role to play in my, in my life, in my faith. 
And so I was wrestling through some major questions and thoughts and emotions at that point in my life. I mean, I, I was 16. So think back to when you were 16. I don't know if you were as angsty as I was or if you're currently as angsty as I was. But I had a lot of stuff going on in my mind and, and just in my spirit. And as I began to read the book of Acts, what I found was that the world of the Bible didn't quite fit into my box, particularly when it came to the things that the Holy Spirit does. I grew up in a cultural context where, you know, as a man, what's appropriate for me to do is to be very stoic and to not show much emotion and certainly not process those things out loud with people. And, you know, if I, if I had like sadness or fear, you know, God forbid that, that I would shed a tear because there was a cultural expectation around the way that I should act and be and move in the world. So as I read the book of Acts, I came to this story where Paul asks some new disciples if they've received the Holy Spirit. And, and so he goes through this whole thing, and they, they reply, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And when I read that, I thought, I don't know if I've even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know if I've heard that there's a Holy Spirit like this. You know, I knew that, like, yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's a Holy Spirit out there somewhere. But when Paul talked about receiving the Holy Spirit, that was new to me. I had never thought in those terms. And so what I did was I read that story. I realized that I had never had an experience like this, that I had never experienced or received an awareness of the real presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so what I did was just driving by myself in my car one day. I was 16, and I prayed for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And he did. And when that happened, um, it, was, it was a remarkable experience. It was unlike anything that I had ever, uh, ever experienced in my life. I prayed in tongues for the first time under no prompting from any other person. I was not ever in a charismatic church environment, so I had never heard people pray in tongues before. So I couldn't really even make it up if I wanted to. <laughs> and, and, and we laugh, but I just want to pause for just a minute because I know when we talk about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, this can actually bring up pain for some folks. And so what I want to say is I want to just pause for a minute and say, you know, if you were ever in a, in a Pentecostal or charismatic church environment where the, the pastor or the leader was trying to coach people to speak in tongues and they, you know, grabbed your tongue and they wagged it around and told you to, I mean, this is real. This is real stuff that actually happens. If anything like that ever happened to you, I just want to say on behalf of like Christian pastors and leaders that I'm sorry because that's actually not how this works. Okay, so, so I was filled by the Holy Spirit. I wasn't in church. I, I prayed in tongues. There was no ministry time involved. I had never seen this modeled. And what's important is not that this happened once or that this continues to be a part of my private devotional life. That's actually not the important point of the story. The important thing is the result of my experience. I didn't know how to pray for myself. Because I was 16. I didn't understand what was going on in my life. I didn't understand the, mo the emotions that I was experiencing or the turmoil. I didn't understand that I was trying to figure out where I fit in the world and what that meant for me. And, and I, didn't, I didn't get any of that. And really, none of, the, none of the adults around me even quite understood the degree to which I was wrestling with this thing. And so the importance 
of this story really is that when I did not have words to put to the turmoil that was in my heart, um, I learned that God cared about me. I learned that when I didn't know what to do with what was happening inside of me, the God of the universe sent his spirit to encounter my, my body, my mind, my heart. That's the important thing from that story. And so becoming more like Jesus and partnering with God to see the world look more like heaven is not easy on us. And so we can just take a minute and acknowledge that fact, that trying to become more like Christ and, and trying to bring the hope of Jesus to the world, whatever that looks like for you, is not easy work. And we need the presence of God, the voice of God, the tangible presence of God in our lives to encounter us and empower us for that work. And not only that, but God cares deeply about your struggles. And so last week in his talk, Josh made an important point that I want to focus on this week, kind of as we continue into the scriptures. He pointed out that God worked really hard to get God's self into our humanity. Like the whole, the whole first 39 books of the Bible, the whole Old Testament, is basically the story of how hard God was working to try to get himself into you. And that whole thing that I just said about the law being written on your hearts and you having this, this presence of God inside of you, that's the point of the first like two-thirds of the Bible. So when Paul wants to work on us, or excuse me, not Paul, when God wants to work on us, he's going to work on us from the inside because he worked really hard to get in there. And so a lot of times we look for outside signs. We look for things to happen in the world around us, and we look for you know, people to speak a word to us, and we look for a timely you know, thing to come across our Twitter feed or whatever. But the truth is that God wants to speak to you from the inside. And I don't want to discount those other things because those are really helpful sometimes. Guidance and prophetic words from friends and trusted mentors and all that, that's, that's good. But God wants to speak to you from the inside. And so that, that kind of brings us to the key passage for today. And in our Naturally Supernatural series, what I really wanted to focus on is how can we be naturally supernatural with these gifts of tongues and prophecy? Because these are probably the two gifts more than any other that freak people out. They do. They just they weird people out. They don't know what to think about them. Huge portions of the church have just discounted these things because they're weird and uncomfortable. And so part of being naturally supernatural is posturing ourselves with respect to these things in such a way that we don't deter other people from experiencing them and that we don't drive ourselves into such a spiritual frenzy that we sort of lose touch with what these gifts are even for, okay? So you can turn in your Bibles and your devices with me to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to read a pretty big portion of this. We're going to read the first 19 verses of 1 Corinthians 14. And so I'm just going to read it to you, and we'll take little pauses as we go through this passage to, um, to sort of acknowledge some things and, and discuss some things about the text. So Paul starts out, uh, he, he just finished in chapter 13 talking about love with respect to the spiritual gifts and how central and important love is to our spiritual practice. So he goes on, pursue love 
and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in the tongue do not speak to other people, but to God, for no one understands them, since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. But those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So Paul gets done doing this whole thing about love in chapter 13, and then he changes gears and he begins to talk about two categories of spiritual gifts, specifically prophecy and speaking in tongues. And it's important that we know uh, kind of what, what he means when he's talking about these gifts. So first, prophecy in the context of the New Testament is it originates from God, it's spontaneous, it's not prepared in advance, like teaching or preaching, and it reveals God's heart or mind about a given subject or situation, and it does not necessarily predict the future. There's a lot more that we could say about prophecy. We've done entire series on prophecy in this church in the past, but that's our definition, our working definition of prophecy for the rest of the morning. Um, One of my favorite teachers, Ken Fish, describes speaking in tongues like this. He says, the gift of tongues is spirit-inspired speaking in which the conscious mind plays no part. It is the speaking of a language, whether known or not, that is unlearned by the speaker. Speaking in tongues is God-directed. Okay, so again, when I read those definitions, you might be thinking, well, you left out this part or you left out that part or whatever, okay? But we're talking about these gifts in the context of believers practicing them. Paul's actually talking about it in the context of in church is what he's talking about in this passage. So elsewhere, there are other things said about prophecy not in the church, but he's specifically talking about in the church meeting, okay? So let's keep reading on. He says, those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. I want to just pause for just a second. When Paul says, now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, that word all in the Greek, do you know what that means? all. Yeah, as in everyone. He says that, okay? So we'll just keep going. Um, The one, one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you in some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. So there are three important points that come to us in what Paul says, just in this chunk right here. First, he says, those who speak in a tongue build up themselves. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves. So what we learn elsewhere in the scriptures, and and from the story that I told earlier, is that speaking in tongues is a way for the Holy Spirit to pray for us through us. Speaking in tongues is a way for the Holy Spirit to pray for us, through us. So if you want to read more about that, go and read Romans 8. There are different debates about what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, but I believe that he's addressing speaking in tongues. There's a portion about 30 verses in where he talks about praying in the Spirit, and and it's fairly clear that he's talking about praying in tongues. Then he says, uh, those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, because it's a, it's a gift that's intended to 
to be bringing you help. So the gift of tongues is for your sake. It's for your sake. And so I, I will just, I'll say this, and I'm not, I'm not saying this as a judgment on anyone, but biblically, when we look at the gift of tongues, the Bible does not talk about praying in tongues as a mode of praying for someone to be healed. So I've been in a lot of prayer encounters where we're praying for healing for someone. That, you know, they've got a broken leg. And then someone in the group starts praying in tongues. So not quite. Like that's, that's not really an instance where tongues is super useful or is even the, the intended uh, direction for the gift to be focused. So praying in tongues is for the building up, for the upbuilding of your spirit, of your soul. It's for God to pray for you, through you. So Paul goes on, he says, one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues so that the church may be built up. Now, what he's not saying here is that people who prophesy are better Christians than people who pray in tongues or people who prophesy are, are just better people in general than people who pray in tongues. There's a little bit lost in translation here. What he's essentially saying is those who prophesy are more useful in the church meeting than those who pray in tongues. Does that make sense? Okay. And so, again, prophecy, most simply stated, is just a gift that reveals God's heart or mind about a given subject or situation. So Paul's talking about prophecy in the context of the church meeting here. But we see Paul and others prophesy to, to folks who are not believers. We actually see prophecy happen outside the church in the New Testament as well. That's just not what we're talking about right now in this passage, so don't get too hung up on that. I want to draw your attention to the phrase in the middle of that sentence that I conveniently left out. If you noticed, when I reread it, I reread it wrong. Unless someone interprets. So Paul is clear elsewhere in the writing that in the church meeting, when we're gathered together, if, if a tongue, if a prayer in tongues is lifted up for the room to hear, there must be an interpretation. And he actually says that there should only be two or three. And, and again, this is not a judgment. This is just an observation. I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of prayer meetings and church gatherings where people are just, everybody's shouting in tongues. Like, everybody. And it's a little bit chaotic, and it's a little bit like, this is good. You know, hopefully everybody individually is getting something out of this but it's not really contributing to like God moving among us in the meeting. Now, people can receive the gift of tongues. People can receive a, a personal prayer language in a church meeting, and you might hear that. But that's different from someone you know, standing here and speaking into the microphone, a, a tongue, and then having no interpretation or several people standing up and speaking in tongues without an interpretation. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to cut down on chaos in the meetings. And we're going to keep reading, and we're actually going to see why he's giving that instruction, because there's a very specific and important reason for it. So he goes on and he says, It is the same way with lifeless instruments that produce sound, such as the flute or the harp. If they do not give distinct notes... How will what is being played on the flute or harp be recognized? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, 
Who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if in a tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of sounds in the world, and nothing is without sound. If then I do not know the meaning of a sound, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So Paul's continuing to make his point that speaking in tongues is fruitless if other people aren't able to understand what's being said or shared. So he's making a point about something central to our Naturally Supernatural series. So right here, this is Paul doing Naturally Supernatural 101. He's saying that, that the meeting shouldn't be weird. And I'm going to bring some clarity to that statement here in just a minute because I don't want you to be thinking right now, oh no, we're shutting down the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's people's, that's people's immediate thought when we say, you know, we don't want to be weird or we don't, you know, whatever, then they just immediately think, oh no, the pastors are out on the Holy Spirit. That's not true, okay? Uh, if that were the case, Paul was out on the Holy Spirit. And I think we know real well from reading the New Testament that Paul was not out on the activity of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going. Uh, you know, this this point, sorry, I want to pause here for just a second. He's making an interesting point about tongues here because tongues is often mocked in popular culture and just, in, you know, wherever. I mean, we see most people think that it's ridiculous and it's silly. But Paul's making a powerful point about the gift of tongues here. And he's not saying to set it aside or to restrain it or to, you know, treat it as though it's less. What he's saying is that this is actually intended to be a powerful sign to people who come into your meeting and have never heard of this or seen it before. So when we steward it right, when we, when we practice this gift rightly, it's a powerful sign of God's activity to people who've never seen it before. So he goes on, he says, So with yourselves, since you are striving after spiritual gifts, seek to excel in them for building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. What should I do then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will sing praise with the mind also. So what we see is that Paul's writing is full of nuance and balance. We live in a, in a world that just presents binary ideas. And because we live in that world, and we read Paul's writing here, what we can think is immediately, you know, either we shouldn't speak in tongues or we should speak in tongues all the time and do it however we want. Those are two extremes, and Paul is actually calling us to, to a, a balanced view of this gift. He says quite the opposite. He says, seek to excel in spiritual gifts for building up the church. And he already said that all of us should do that. And he returns to this refrain. If someone speaks in a tongue in the meeting, pray for the power to interpret. He talks about praying and thinking with his mind as well as his spirit. And so when we worship together, he's making an important point here. We engage the life of the mind and the life of the spirit. Spiritual things are the thinking person's pursuit. Spiritual things are the thinking person's pursuit. And the life of your mind is a very spiritual thing. If you look across history, the great thinkers, the great philosophers, 
the ones that, that, that we learn from, that, that knowledge and wisdom comes to us through, Christian and, and non-Christian, tended to be spiritual people who believed in spiritual things. And, and so I just want to say, you know, for a long time, we've lived in this Western world where the integration of the mind and the spirit have, have, have not existed. They've been pushed apart. They've been made to seem at odds with each other. And for far too long, the church has picked one or the other, either being, you know, completely anti-intellectual and writing off the, the ideas of anybody that has letters behind their name, or going the other way and being so intellectual that we've completely discounted the spiritual value of our faith. And, and I just want to say, you know, right here in this text, Paul is calling us into the middle. He's calling us to be people of the mind and people of the spirit. And so, you know, just to illustrate this point, don't put this picture up just yet, James, but earlier last summer, it was late last summer, uh, I, I was in Minneapolis, and everywhere I go, I find myself wandering into bookstores and buying way too many books. And so I, I had flown to Minneapolis, and I bought enough books that I actually had to mail the books home because they didn't fit in my suitcase. But this bookstore was phenomenal. I mean, it was like, it was a dream for me. I'm an Enneagram 5, if you know what that means. And so I just like, I was there for many hours, okay? And in this bookstore, and I want to be clear, this is an independent bookstore that was not a Christian bookstore. This was not a Christian bookstore, okay? The section on religion and spirituality in this bookstore was probably about the size of this building. A lot of books. And what I found fascinating was within the section on religion and spirituality, there was a smaller section on atheism. And I want to show you a picture of the section of the bookstore on atheism. The biggest, the biggest bookstore in the city of Minneapolis, not a Christian bookstore. One of the biggest bookstores in America in terms of square footage. These are all the books that they sold about atheism. If you have been taught that atheism is the biggest threat to your faith or to your children's faith, it's simply not true. It's never been true, and it never will be true. Because as human beings, we are in touch with something that's beyond ourselves. And people understand that. And intellectual atheism had its moment, you know, through the the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, and it's done. It's dead. What I will say is that pagan spirituality is on the rise. People are realizing that they are spiritual people, but the church has done such a poor job of holding our convictions before the watching world that most people have opted out because they believe there are other options. And so what I want to say to you is just, if, if what I've been saying in the last like two minutes is compelling to you, and that's something that you think about or something that you're interested in or passionate about, there's a book that I want to recommend to you, and it'll be up on the screen. It's a book called Strange Rights by a woman named Tara Isabella Burton. 
And it's an incredible book for understanding the, the mass exodus from the church, the rise of pagan spirituality in my generation and younger, and really the spiritual climate of the world today. So if this is something that's interesting to you, you know, she's a, she's a sociologist, a scholar, an anthropologist. He has a PhD from the University of Oxford. Just a really brilliant person who has thought this through very, very thoroughly. Uh, and, and so it's an excellent resource. I highly recommend it. And it directly relates to what Paul is saying in this passage about the life of the mind and the life of the spirit. So let's move on. We live in a world that is starved for, for this integration. And so as we think about being naturally supernatural, part of that is, is you know, have you, have you heard the saying sometimes that people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good? We want to stay out of that territory. We want to stay out of that territory because the whole purpose for this entire thing, if we remember from the beginning, God is repairing the world and he's repairing the world within us. There's no way that we can do that if, if we've completely disregarded the concerns of our neighbors and the people around us. So let's finish reading this passage. He says, Otherwise, if you say a blessing with the Spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving? Since the outsider does not know what you are saying, uh, sorry, since the outsider does not know what you are saying, for you may give thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So here it is again, this balance. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. What a, what a brag, right? But it's not, it's for my sake. He just acknowledges this is, for, this is for the building up of my life with God so the Spirit can pray for me, through me. And hear me, tongue, tongue speakers, tongue prayers, I am not trying to suppress you. Continue to exercise that gift in your life. Continue to exercise that gift in this room. The last thing I want is to be heard as shutting down something that God's doing inside of you. What I hope we can do is receive these words from Paul as a call to wisdom and great intent as we practice these gifts and, and anticipate the spirits moving among us. Because Paul talks really directly about outsiders here. You know, there's a theory in the church that the church gathering only exists for Christians. And so when we're gathered here, we just, we just do whatever, you know, whatever may come, that's, that's why we're here and what we're doing. But Paul's clear that there is an evangelistic point on our gatherings. And so whether there's, you know, anyone here for the first time or not, whether there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus or not, we want to continue to posture ourselves in that way because that's the model that Paul gives to the early church that's been handed down faithfully to us through the generations. And the only other thing I'll say there is that uh, he talks about the, this idea of instruction. And so Paul, basically what Paul is saying here is that when we're together, it's supposed to be, yes, a time of worship and the spirit being between us, right? But it's also a time of instruction so that we can take this stuff back out into our lives and do it. 
one of the most fascinating things to me about watching the NCAA college basketball tournament throughout the past week is all the shots that the camera people put up of the people in the stands. They are elated through the roof, like way more excited than even the players themselves sometimes when their team wins. And they didn't do anything. Maybe they had a beer and, and, and jumped up and down a little bit. And then they say, we won. <laughs> they won. You didn't win anything. And so we can't, we can't be like that. We can't be like that. When we see God's activity in the world, and, and all we've been doing is just gathering with other Christians, continuing to gather with other Christians, and not really taking this stuff to the world, and we see what God's doing, and we say, we won. There's a call to participation. There's a call to taking this truth that God is repairing the world and bringing it to our neighbors and bringing it to the people around us. And so Paul is so focused on that as he talks about the spiritual gifts that build us up and that build up the church. He's able to hold these two things together so well, so masterfully, way better than I ever could about, yes, being built up in our own spiritual lives, but also knowing that we're doing this for the sake of others. And so I kind of want to conclude there today. So if our if our prayer team people could make their way to the back, and I'd just love to have everybody stand, and the worship team's going to come on up. So at the beginning of the talk, you know, I said what I said about, like, all this life with God, God repairing the world, God repairing the world inside of you, it begins with, with calling Jesus the Lord of your life. And so if you have never made that decision before, if that's something that you've never done, that is so core, so central to everything that we do here. Uh, I just want to invite you to, to just make your way to the back. Make your way to one of these prayer people in the back, and they would love to, uh, to pray with you and just to talk to you a little bit more about what that means and what that looks like. And for the rest of us, uh, as those folks make their way back, we're just going to, we're going to enter into worship, and we have these prayer teams in the back. So at any point uh, during worship, if you have anything that you need prayer for, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, something that's going on in your life. Uh, we want you to make your way back there and receive prayer because these folks are, are uh, you know, really looking forward to praying for you this morning. And it's just such an important part of what we do when we gather here, praying uh, one for another. So I'm going to pray for us as a group and then we'll worship together. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for the good gifts that you pour out on your people, that you pour out on your church for the sake of, of service to the world and for the sake of encountering us with your love. And so right now, God, we just say, have your way with us. Whatever, whatever you would do during this time, however you would speak to us, however you would touch us, we, we are just longing for your presence, God. We need the renewal that your spirit brings. Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs>